Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So what we're talking about today and over the next several weeks can apply to any relationship. Whether you're just, it's a friendship, it's a, maybe somebody that you live with, it's a um, roommate, uh, maybe you're dating right now, or you're engaged, or you are married, or uh, been married for a long time, these principles will apply to your life. But when you begin this process of saying, I really want to love other people like Jesus loved me, and that's the command, right? From John 13, 34 and 35, that this is a new command I give you, Jesus, right before the crucifixion. He says, this is what I'm giving you. I'm asking you to love one another as I have loved you, and by this, all people will know you are my disciples, my followers, my people, because you love each other like I love you. Like, that's gonna be the one distinguishing factor, but it is hard. Have you tried it? It's really difficult. We need help. And now you may be saying, Pastor, I need some help with this, and that's what this message is gonna help with. It's talking about the power source behind how we do that. That's difficult. Here's the question that many of you, uh, we may be asking. What gives us the strength to be able to give what a healthy marriage requires of us? How do we do that? To answer this question, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament begins an incredible teaching, kind of a discourse, if you will, in the book of Ephesus. It's a letter that he wrote to this church in the, the city of Ephesus. Um, the Ephesian church, or the Ephesian letter, is... Uh, in the fifth chapter, got this beautiful explanation of what that looks like and where's the power come from. In chapter five, starting with verse 18, here's how Paul begins this explanation. He says this, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now that's not the way most marriage books start, is it? Right? Don't get drunk on wine. And I highlight the word drunk because it literally, as we use it today, means under the influence or under the control of wine. Now, he just picked wine because that was the drug of choice back then, but there are lots of things today that we can be under the control of in our world today that leads to an old-fashioned word we don't use a whole lot, debauchery. Debauchery just simply means to be led to recklessness or to be led to a place where you don't care a whole lot about the consequences. You know, people that are way too smart to be doing the dumb things that they're doing, they, they know, and you've been there before too, maybe you, like, I know this is probably not gonna have good consequences, but I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. That's debauchery. He's saying, don't get under the influence of wine or anything else that's going to lead to you not caring about consequences that's going to wind up hurting you and other people around you. Don't get under the influence or under the control of things like that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. Don't be under the control of or the influence of anything else but the Spirit of God. Therein lies the secret. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He begins this conversation about that it's that power source that we need to be connected to, that we need to make intentional space for in our life, time to speak to God, to pray, to seek God, to ask for the Holy Spirit's help. He's saying when we do that, 
then it allows us to do things that we don't normally do. We certainly don't naturally gravitate towards. And here's one of the things we naturally do not gravitate towards, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's saying when someone who's led by the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is in control of their life, there is a humility that comes. And it's not just a humility. It is a servant-heartedness that says, I'm gonna serve other people. I'm gonna put other people first. So this is before he even gets into discussing about marriage, but he's setting it all up by saying, everything I'm about to tell you about marriage, whether you're a single person or married today, this is important for you to know, everything I'm about to tell you about marriage, it comes under the influence, the leadership, the control of the Holy Spirit. Like it's not even possible without the Holy Spirit being in your life. The Holy Spirit is incredibly powerfully real and, and, and relevant, and it's essential to you being able to do what Paul's about to tell us. Now, let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a second. Because in the New Testament, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as believers, the very first introduction in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. What does he mean by that? The spirit of truth. In chapter 16, verse 14, he tells us this in John. He says, he, referring to the Holy Spirit, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He's teaching his disciples and others present. He says, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, he's gonna take what I am telling you, what I am teaching to you, and he's going to make it known to you. To put it another way, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to take the truths about Jesus and make them clear and make them real to our minds and our hearts. So real, so clear that it literally changes us from the core of our being outward. It's not easy, but the Holy Spirit will use the teaching and the things of Jesus, his, the truths that he teaches. This is one of his primary roles. And this is why it's so important that we make room in our day for God's word regularly, making time to read it and to, re, to refresh our minds and our hearts because the Holy Spirit will pick that up and remind you of it when you need it most. He's gonna help you. He's gonna leverage it. And it's important that you seek him in that way and to be open to it and what's really interesting is that, that not just that he's saying, listen, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of what I've taught you, but that he's showing us here that the Holy Spirit's role in our life helps to answer some of the very big questions of life. That the people that he's about to talk about in this marriage, the two people in that marriage, the husband and wife in that marriage, are two people who have settled some of the big questions of life. What do I mean by the big questions? Like, why am I here? What's my purpose? What, what is the meaning of life? What, what is, gives my life significance? What makes it important that I even get up and, and do what I do every single day? That many people, young single people, and that might be you today, or even married people, do not know the answer to these. And Paul is helping us to see that the Holy Spirit is the one that will reveal the answers to these questions because the answers to all of them are found in God himself. That your purpose comes from God. He's your creator. He's your designer. He designed you for something, right? That your significance, what your importance, because you were made in the image of God. 
that gives you meaning. That gives you importance. It's not because it was legislated by men and women. It was because God Almighty said you have meaning, that you are sacred, that you are important, that you are holy, that you are set apart for him. That's what he wants. And that he gives life meaning. But what happens so many times is that two people are searching, searching, searching for the answers to these ultimate questions, and they think that they're gonna find it in marriage. If I could just find somebody to love, and like love is held as sort of like the pinnacle experience of human existence. If you could just find somebody that you passionately love, and they love you, they will complete everything. We were watching not long ago the original Rocky. I don't know if y'all have seen that in a while, but wow. It's still good. Anyway, um, you go back and watch Rocky. I remember him telling one of his friends, like, why he's going to marry Adrian. Yo, I want to marry Adrian. You know, like, because she got gaps and I got gaps and together we got no gaps. You know, like, we, we complete each other. Kind of another line from another movie from Jerry Maguire. You complete me. You complete me. Okay. Yeah, that may have been, anyway, too far. But anyway. The, uh, the idea is that's what our culture sells us. You find this person, they're going to complete you. They're going to make everything that's not okay about you okay, right? And that's just too much to put on another person. If we expect our spouse to carry the weight of our significance and our purpose and our meaning, we are demanding the impossible. No human being, please hear this. This will save some of you years off your life, decades off your life, that you search and search and search, trying to find just the right person. They're not out there. People can't do that. that. That is a crippling weight to try to be somebody's purpose, to try to be somebody's significance, to be their meaning for life. My goodness, no human can do that. Only God fits that God-shaped hole, God-shaped vacuum in our heart. Only God can. He's saying, so let's start there. And then understand that as we go into these comments and, and instructions about what a marriage covenant relationship looks like. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul begins by saying the, a controversial statement. Here's what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Let me just say, as a side note here, that verse many times gets people off track into a discussion about gender roles, and that would be a mistake here because this misses the point of what Paul is trying to say here. Because he immediately after he talks about women, he talks about men and husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He's trying to help us to see that in both circumstances, situations, in both husband and wife roles, there is self-sacrifice that is required, that is only going to be possible through the Holy Spirit. Each partner is called to sacrifice for the other. Each partner is called to sacrifice for the other. This is not something that we can just fabricate on our own. It is something that is only possible through the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is that the Apostle Paul later talks about this same principle as it relates to all of our relationships and all of your relationships 
he talks about in Philippians 2. He says, in all your relationships, here's what I want you to do. I want to treat you to treat other people in humility. I want you to value others above yourself. Now, I want you to notice this statement. Sometimes people misunderstand this statement because they think it is, oh, well, I don't have as much value as other people. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you should have low self-esteem because you're not really worth much. Everybody else is worth far more than you. He's saying, no, in humility, it's a verb, value. I want you to go out and value. I want you to ascribe value to other people, whether you're friends with them, you're dating them, you're a roommate with them, you're married to them. It doesn't matter. It all applies. It applies most and most especially to a marriage covenant, right? But in humility, value others above yourself. It doesn't mean that they're actually more valuable than you. It just means that you're ascribing value to them where you're going to treat them as more important than yourself, You're gonna treat them and put them above yourselves. And he says, if you're asking why, you're wondering why we do this, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mind as Christ. I want you to learn how to do this because this is what Jesus did for you. It's what he did for me. This is the model and the pattern, the way he taught us to love one another. And when we do that, it is powerful how it begins to unlock a deeper love relationship, a healthy, passionate, loving marriage that few ever find. Because the reason he's saying this in humility, value others above yourself, because that's not our default, is it? No. And our default is not in humility, value yourself above others, right? Nobody has to teach us that. Just take a look at the way people respond in our society today. We are all about just yelling for our own opinion, right? Social media, etc. Nobody has to tell us to do that. We just naturally do that. But Paul's saying under the leadership, under the influence, the control of the Holy Spirit in your life, I want you to learn how to put others first. Because in marriage, you think about the conflicts in marriage. Most marital conflicts are over competing wants, aren't they? She wants one thing, Guys, you want another, and we want what we want. We're really competing over limited resources. You only have so much money. You you can't afford to do what both of you want. You only have so much time. You don't have the time to do what both of you want. You don't have the energy to do what both of you want. So somebody's got to give in. Somebody's got to say no. You, and this is what Paul's saying. When those moments happen, we really have three options. You only have three options, right? And let's talk about the three responses to when there's competing wants. Because every time you guys spend time together as husband and wife, or you spend time with even a friend, you're going to have moments of competing wants. We all have that. Here's our one of three responses are going to happen every time. Number one is that you can offer to serve the other with joy, like genuinely happy to do it for you. Like I really am good. I like really want to do this for you. Here's the second one. You respond selfishly, pardon me, you respond with coldness and resentment. Like, let's just get this over with. This is what you wanted to do, not what I wanted to do. You're doing it, but coldness and resentment is all in the room with you, right? And then number three, you can selfishly insist on your own way. I want what I want. You really only have one of three options every single time. 
And what Paul is showing us, that if you want your marriage to thrive, if you want a healthy, loving, passionate marriage, you've got to learn, both of you, under the leadership and power that only the Holy Spirit gives, to do number one for both of you. Both of you doing that at the same time will make the marriage go to another level completely. It will elevate your marriage in a way that little else, nothing else in this world can do. And he's saying, listen, I want you to learn how to do that because that will make all the difference in the world. But it's learning to put the other person first, even if you don't feel it in the moment. Maybe you've heard this old saying, sometimes you have to act your way to a feeling rather than feel your way to an action. Many people want to feel their way to an action. When I feel like I don't feel loving, so I'm not going to act loving. I'm only going to wait till I feel like it, right? But it's amazing how Jesus taught that where you put your treasure of your time, energy, talent, skill, ability, whatever, there your heart will be also. I've seen it in my own life, and so many people, other people have shared it with me, the same thing as guys tell me sometimes, well, I've, I've fallen out of love with her. I don't feel, I don't feel anything right now. I don't feel anything. I think I could feel something for this other girl, but I don't feel anything for my wife. And I would say, well, what, are you doing what you used to do back when you did feel? Was there a time in the past where you did feel passionate? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Are you doing those things anymore? No, not doing those things anymore. Let's just try an experiment. Let's go back and start doing those things again, writing her notes and taking her on dates and romancing her, and let's see what happens. A few weeks go by, I can't believe it. I'm starting to feel it again. Yes, you can act your way to a feeling. Where you put your treasure, your heart will be also. You can begin to do this even before you feel it, and the feelings will catch up with you. It's incredible. It's like Jesus understood something about us that we don't understand about ourselves. Like he's our designer, our creator. He gets something about the way we're wired. And if we'll follow this and we will serve one another, it will radically change our heart towards one another. And that's not just true of marriage. That's true of every other relationship you'll ever have in this life. That's true of every other human being you will come in contact in this community and any other place or online or anywhere. It's true. And it's powerful. So let's talk about the main barrier to this kind of servant-heartedness, this kind of approach of servant-heartedness. The main barrier is what I'm calling self-centeredness. It's more than just selfishness. It's putting self at the center of life. Like, it is all about me. And I'm gonna make it about me. I'm gonna make my decisions based on me. I'm pretty much ruling my own life. And this is our default setting, and it's a barrier to the kind of relationship and the kind of marriage that we all want. It's the thing that keeps getting in our way. In other words, we get in our own way. You've ever heard, maybe heard that saying before, we get in our own way. You are in your own way to the kind of marriage that you ultimately want in the future. And when we talk about self-centeredness, let me break that down and explain it and just de define it for a moment. Self-centeredness is self-seeking. Pursuing one's own welfare before those of others. It's being impatient, irritable, irritability, a lack of graciousness and kindness in our speech. Is any of this feeling a little convicting? Irritability, like a little contempt in the way you speak to one another. Envious of other situations. Holding past hurts against others. And I tell you a little secret. 
that these things are always present in couples who divorce. Every time, over and over and over. Or couples who are heading towards divorce. I'm telling you, impatient, irritability, no, no graciousness or kindness in the way they speak to one another, contempt in their voice, frustrated, angry, mad. And what you begin to see is that one person will begin to feed off another and then they will feed off of another. It only takes one person to begin to introduce this into a relationship before the other person says, oh yeah, you're gonna treat me like that, you're gonna talk to me like that, you're gonna act like that, I'm gonna give it right back. And then they feed off each other and the spirals out of control to the point where the relationship is in so much dis- disrepair. Like there is so much self-pity going on, so much anger, so much frustration. It leads both of them into a place of despair and hopelessness. This marriage can't be salvaged. It is gone. There is nothing left. It bleeds every last drop of life out of it. And people say, I'm done. I throw in the towel. I'm out of here. And you wonder, and you've seen it. I have too. You think, why can't they see this? Why can't they see what they're doing? They're doing this to themselves. Why don't they stop? There's a little bit of forgiveness and a little bit of kindness and a little, could go a long way. It could totally turn this thing around. Why can't they see this? You want to know why? Here's why. Self-centeredness, by its very nature, blinds you to your own self-centeredness. Doesn't that make sense? Because it's all about you. You can't see you. You can't see, you're not asking anybody's opinion. Hey, am I acting self-centered? That's the last thing somebody who's self-centered wants to know about, right? I don't want you to tell them that, no. But here's the funny thing. They're blind to their own self-centeredness while being hypersensitive very easily offended and angered by someone else's self-centeredness, right? It makes them like, I can't stand to be around them. I can't even stand to talk. I don't even be, and this might not be somebody you're married to. This is just somebody you know. This is somebody that maybe holds a different political view than you, right? But you justify it because you go, they're wrong. They're idiots. I'm right. They're wrong. I can't stand to be around them. And we justify it, and we let it spiral out of control, and Paul's saying that is not what living by the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, you gotta fight against that. That is not, that's gonna gonna pull you apart. And what's crazy is that when we face these kind of problems in our marriage, the first thing that we should look at is our own self-centeredness. I want to just encourage you today. Maybe you're going through a little rocky patch or maybe you've had some. You're better now, but you're not really sure. Like, we could fall back into that pretty easily. Well, I don't really know. Like, it's an important thing to begin to self-diagnose and have a conversation. When facing problems in your marriage, the first thing we should do is look for the source of our own self-centeredness. And let me give you a question that I think could help diagnose. And again, this is a question for you to discuss with your spouse or with a friend or with the person you're dating, or the person you're engaged to, uh, or a roommate. But here's the question. Where am I unwilling to serve my spouse, or my friend, or the person I'm dating? Where am I unwilling to serve my spouse, and why? Why? It's really important to ask why. Why am I feeling this way? Is it coming from a place of self-centeredness? 
have that conversation and be willing to ask the other person, is there a place that I might not be aware of that I have been seemingly unwilling to serve you? I'm like unwilling to say yes, unwilling to, where is that? I'm telling you, that conversation right there and a willingness to correct it and to change the way we behave could radically change and save marriages that are listening to this today. That the Holy Spirit is the one that makes that possible. Without the Holy Spirit daily refilling your soul, having a servant's heart will virtually be impossible without becoming resentful. What I'm talking about today to move away from self-centeredness, we can do in our own strength for a while. Like You could say, oh, I don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. I could do that. You're right. You could for a while. But then there's going to be a point where you say, I can't keep this up. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And, and I'm sick of them not reciprocating. I'm sick of them not doing for me what I am doing for them. And it will start to breed resentfulness over time. And it will begin to break down the relationship. The Holy Spirit is so critical to making this work. And the thing is that so many people say, you know, well, that, that's what I want to do. Because ultimately, I want to be happy in my marriage. I want my marriage to be happy. And that's where a lot of people use that justification and say, I'm done. I'm just not happy anymore. They're not happy anymore. Let, can I give you a little secret about marital happiness? This is a big one that many people miss. They don't understand it. Here it is. You will only discover your own happiness after you have put the happiness of your spouse before your own as a response to what Jesus has done for you. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ simply says that you and I are so broken, lost, and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. But we are so loved and accepted by him that he wanted to die for us. He loved us that much. And he's saying, and I want to show that same kind of selfless, irrational to this world, love through you and to others. If you're open to it. If you're open to the leadership, the guidance, the influence of the Holy Spirit. Don't let anything else influence you or to, to control your life except the Holy Spirit and you will see a radical transformation happen in your marriage and every other relationship that's important to you. Here's the application prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, may your Holy Spirit reveal my blind spots and cause, uh, cause by my self-centeredness. Like, open up my eyes and this might be a, a conversation, again, with your spouse. If you're going, well, I'm good. I can't think of one blind spot in my life. Like, I'm, I don't have any. Like, you need to have a conversation with somebody, all right? I promise you there's some things you're missing, all right? And the Holy Spirit will use other people who love you and care about you and know you better than you know yourself in ways that we all have blind spots. And that's why we need each other. As Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person can sharpen another. We need people. We need our spouse to help us with this. And then finally, I trust the power of your gospel to guide my life and marriage. I trust the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel to guide my life. Or it might be for those of you who are single to guide my future marriage. That I want to begin now to serve other people and to begin to let the Holy Spirit use my life to practice this humility and putting others before myself. It's such an important skill. 
because none of us are born with the skill. We all have to learn it. It is all something that can be learned and can be sharpened, but not without the Holy Spirit. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.